and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. First off, thank you so much to all of you who reached out when I was sick. It really meant a lot and I was blown away by how many Instagram messages I received. I'm so lucky to have such supportive and sweet listeners. I'll also be doing a live stream soon. I took a poll over a few different platforms about where to do my live stream and it looks like the majority of you prefer YouTube. I think YouTube is a little more accessible. A lot of people have left Facebook these days, so I'm going to give YouTube a try. I will pin down a date and let you know. In the meantime, you could submit any questions you want to ask. You can send them through the show's Instagram page, message them to me on Facebook or on Twitter or email them to me or you can wait and ask them live during the live stream. I don't know how many questions you'll have, but here's your chance to ask if you have any. I'll also be reading from a book of true ghost stories I found at my parents' house while I was visiting. Hope to see you guys there and keep a lookout on my social media for a date. Our first story tonight is from my friend, Andre Matthews. Andre has an amazing new podcast called Bruh is a Murder. Bruh is a Murder is a true crime podcast that blends the tragic fates that befall people of color and people of color in the LGBTQ plus communities and the trials and tribulations their families face after their deaths trying to bring their murderers to justice. It also features up-and-coming musical artists during the intermission. Andre has submitted a gut-wrenching story set in World War I. It's called Trenches. Charles Wales Brown, 369th Infantry Regiment, 5th of March, 1918, France. Dear Anita, it's been weeks since I wrote, and for that I apologize. At last I wrote we were the 185th. I guess we're under new management. We've been reattached to another infantry brigade. But things remain the same. Being an all-colored regiment, we're regulated to labor services. Apparently, they believe colored folk don't have a killer instinct and are violent enough to be put on the front line. My platoon sergeant has ensured us that we are just as important as anyone else. It sure don't feel that way. We work 24 hours straight, unloading ships and transporting men and material to and from various bases, ports, and railroad depots. We are also responsible for the dirty work, removing unexploded shells from fields, clearing disabled equipment and barbed wire, burying soldiers killed in action, and digging trenches. It's the last two that get to me. Because what's a trench other than a big grave? Both dug in haste by weary men. Both slowly fill with runoff from rain, piss, and God knows what else. Both become homes to men snatched from their real homes, in the prime of their lives. Both teeming with rats. 20th of March, 1918, France. Dear Anita, 
My aim was not to upset you with my last letter. I know you worry. I miss you more and more every day. Your beautiful green eyes and hair softer than cotton. At night, I lay awake and reminisce about the first night we're together. The back on my truck, under the stars, it was like they were putting on a show just for us. There's not much time for stargazing here. We sleep during the afternoons for about three hours and spend the rest of the day doing chores. The communication trench we dug not too long ago flooded due to the rain. It's going to take forever to repair. I thought the flood was a blessing in disguise. Thought maybe it would drown or at least drive off these rats. The bastards swim. Not only are they getting bigger and more aggressive, but I swear they're getting smart. They avoid traps and poison treats. The sons of bitches have also started taking bites of people as they sleep. They must think that they're dead. There was one that I can't get out of my head. I woke up to this tugging and sharp pain at the bottom of my foot. I kicked wildly and then stood up. The thing nibbled right through the bottom of my boot and broke the skin. I expected it to run off like the others, but it just stared at me. It had to be the size of a house cat. Pitch black, patchy fur with bright orange eyes. The spots where fur was missing, you could see a throbbing vein. Its whole body would expand when it breathed. Quick, sharp, audible breaths. I threw my boot at it and the fucker ran and dove into the pool of water in the flooded part of the trench. Hopefully things will get better here. Love, CW. 13th of April, 1918. Dear Anita, Sadly, I was unable to get issued new boots. I simply patched the hole, which offered little protection from the elements. As I'm writing this, I am in a dugout makeshift infirmary with a suspected case of trench foot. I am one of the lucky ones, however. Due to the working conditions we are subjected to, my case is mild with just some swelling. But the others... We don't get visited by the medic. Their first priorities are the white frontlinesmen. So we do what we can. The more advanced stages of trench foot are something I've never seen. It starts with blisters, and then those blisters turn into deep, open sores on top of swollen, discolored skin. This literally leads to what some pointed out as a fungal infection that travels up the leg. They say the only way to stop the spreading is cutting off the limb, but no one has the knowledge or stomach to try it on anyone. There's something else, though. The open sores. On the patients with the most severe case, these sores appear all over the body. Not blisters, just every day a new open sore 
someone different. Specialist Evans is the worst case so far. He's barely ever conscious, just moans and rattles. Both feet up to his knees are just completely black. His back is riddled with sores of varying sizes from his neck down. Then there's a smell. Like death. I'm not sure how much longer he has. Wish me a speedy recovery. Love, CW. 22nd of April, 1918. Dear Anita, I love you with every fiber of my being. I wish to hold you in my arms, but I fear I will be unable. Something horrible has happened. The other night I was fast asleep in my cot, dreaming of home again. I woke to a putrid smell of bile. I opened my eyes to see Evans standing over me, which caused me to shoot up. I asked him what he was doing out of bed, and he tried to say something. I couldn't make it out. It wasn't words. It's... Sounds as if he was trying to speak, but was choking on every syllable. In the brief moment I studied his face, sunken in and pale, his mouth wasn't even forming words, his jaw was just opening and closing. Then I got to his eyes. He was staring at me, or past me. He wasn't looking at anything. There was nothing behind his eyes. Dead. He had dead eyes like a doll. That's when I yelled for help, but as soon as the word could escape, he lunged on top of me. He didn't grab me, but put his entire weight on me, pinning me down. I started pushing him off, but days of being bedridden have left me weak. He thrashed out on top of me with his mouth gaped open, and from the back of his throat, I swear I saw something more. He was pulled off of me by two white soldiers and thrown to the ground, and he went limp. They picked him up and put him in the cot. I tried to explain that he's sick, he ain't right, but they wouldn't listen. Just another squabble between two Negroes, they said. One of the white men was a medic, and he pulled out the scissors to cut Evan's shirt open. When he did, we all fell silent. There were holes all over his chest, and sprouting out of each one of those holes was what looked like patches of hair. His chest rose and fell as if he was breathing, but it was uneven. One side would bulge, then the other. There was no rhythm to it either. The medic put two fingers on his neck and went gray. He took out his stethoscope with shaky hands and put it to Evan's chest. He moved it to one side, then the other. He turned his head and looked like a deer in headlights. He looked as if to speak when suddenly 
Evan's jaw snapped open with a crack. We all stared and watched as a snout and a pair of orange eyes, followed by a fat, patchy-haired body, wrenched its way out of his lifeless mouth with a bone-chilling screech. Almost simultaneously, the holes in Evan's chest started spewing out dozens, maybe hundreds of rats. The two white men were closer, so they were swarmed first, which left me time to hobble away. They screamed as they were being eaten alive. Due to my trench foot, I could only make it a few steps outside the dugout before collapsing. I screamed for help with no answer and resorted to crawling. I dragged myself to the dugout where we stored our tools and put a board and rack in front of the entrance. It's not much bigger than a broom closet in here. It's only a matter of time before they reach me. Between the cracks in the board... I can see two men in tattered uniforms covered with open sores. One of them worked his hand into almost a fist and is gently knocking on the wood. To whoever finds this, make sure it reaches my beloved Anita. I did not die in battle. I did not die of an illness. It was the rats. You know, one thing I've always struggled with is finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. Plus, I am not the best with numbers. But now, I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. And I know you do not have the time or mental bandwidth to deal with customer service, but don't worry, they'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 5 hundred million dollars in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. 
Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. That's rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. Rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. Do you love horror and weird fiction? Enter Meltopia, a new world of horror fiction. A podcast featuring interconnecting short stories, series, and web serials, all taking place in a single horror universe. Listen to the Shepherd of Wolves series, where a killer who blurs the line between art and death is lured into a dark and mysterious killing game. Discover the Lost Library series, an exploration of Maltopia's many first-person accounts of bizarre, disturbing, and sometimes violent events and characters. And listen in on The Weird Book Show, an in-world podcast where the hosts examine the fallout from the great darkness of 1999 and the many events, artifacts, and conspiracies that have led to modern-day Maltopia. A growing world of mystery, monsters, and madness, with a deep mythology that webs its way across multiple dark fiction series and web serials. Maltopia provides the horror lover in you an incredibly immersive experience that's sure to reach the top of your playlist. Just search for Maltopia, a new world of horror fiction, on your favorite podcast provider. That's Maltopia, M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A, a new world of horror. Don the shadows of Maltopia and listen as the night becomes the world. This next story is by Cameron Gorman. You know Cameron's work from her stories, Static, and her wilderness story from episode 26. This week she brings us a claustrophobia-triggering tale called Polo. hated Bach. Or maybe it was Mozart. Whoever it was that had started playing piano at five or six or some other ridiculous age. He hated them. How are you supposed to be tapping away at the ivories, pleasing people with your tiny powdered wig, composing music that teachers liked to pretend they liked when you had a bag of homework or A yelling parent, when you were too busy leaving strings of spit and snot and tears like a big leaky balloon in the fur of the stuffed animal you never brought yourself to throw away. Nobody has time for piano when their eyes are pink with salt and their favorite place is a quiet corner of the bathroom. Besides, Alroy thought, he was Irish, and Billy Joel was wrong about bread in his jar, at least in his pub experience. But that was small. Everything was small. If you compared it to the terrifying concept of life after 18, 
Newspapers were dying, dying, gone. Newspapers, as of two minutes ago, by a BuzzFeed article about the various uses of masking tape, were dead. They were gone, and Alroy hadn't even been born fast enough to get a paper cut as they flew by his fingertips. At five, his family still had the closest city's newspaper delivered to their quiet stretch of suburbia. And by 14, the paper was no longer there, soaking up rain as it sat unused on his curb, the neighbor's curb, everyone's. So now, his little childhood fantasy, perhaps cute to adults and overweight aunts, was undeniably evicted from reality. A little boy crafting household newspapers out of construction paper. A Halloween costume with a little editor's brown visor or a little paper in his hat that read reporter, all in sideways capitals, asking through an orange plastic echo mic, what's your favorite lizard? All of that had been replaced by the knowledge of and need for a crisp 20 bucks in his shoulder bag. Perhaps 40 years ago, you could have called the pursuit worthy and bankable at that. You could sit around dimly lit New York and Chicago bars with the other old boys and wipe your ink-stained hands on the sweaty gin glass and call each other champ. The stories would be true, because that's how people got their news. You would write about new buildings, new murders, and new mayors all in the sweltering heat of an office. But now, Alroy knew, with a growing discomfort in his ribs, that you had to be sensational. If you wanted to make it anywhere, and he was going to, you had to break something. A first big story. Something to really make the people run back for more. Scandals or freaks of nature. This was not that. Alroy sighed and rolled so his ribs weren't quite sticking into the sand in such an uncomfortable fashion, and brought his knees up in a half-hearted embryonic curl. He didn't really even have the energy to close himself off fully, and that was always the undoing of it anyhow. He raised one hand up to his face, doing his best to shield out the Nevada sun, but it was about as useful as pulling a fork from a toaster with metal prongs. The cruel beat of the UV made him feel like his hand was the only thing preventing a total core meltdown of his eyeballs. Damn, the sun out here is bad, isn't it? He casually brushed the side of his face with a reddened hand. Might as well have forgotten the forty-five. A non-committal grunt sounded out from behind the other side of the sand dune. It was hot enough that the air was starting to waver and stretch out on the peaks and edges of the sand, creating a limbo of uncertainty in the fabric of the thick afternoon. Alroy climbed, his heels sinking into the ground when he shifted his weight. Peering over the side of the dune, he could see Alex fumbling with camera equipment. Classic. 
rolling his eyes hard enough to pop. Alroy climbed to the other side of the hill and down to where Alex was standing. His feet swished in the sand like two overgrown lizards, and Alroy couldn't help but notice that he couldn't quite make the frustration lie down like he usually could. Maybe it was the sun or the sand, or it was Alex uncapping the same lens again and again, but the hornet's nest between his ears was beginning to unfurl itself. The mouth of the cave was smaller than Alroy had hoped, and half as scary. You could hardly bring a bunch of grade schoolers and tell them a ghost story here, much less convince the increasingly skeptical public of some kind of deviant activity. Alroy took a deep breath of the air. It was damp and heavy and old. Not dead, because Alroy had definitely felt that before, breathing in death. He'd come across too many dead animals on his daily walks in the woods by his house, not to know what death felt like in your lungs. No, this was just earth, clay and age, like breathing air trapped from a thousand years ago, a mammoth's exhalation. A cool gust of wind was being emitted from the cave entrance, flowing in smooth waves like someone blowing out candles on the flat, scorched desert. He could almost envision, if he closed his eyes, a huge mouth, a cool, ominous breath on his back. Alex was fumbling with his camera, muttering like usual. Alroy's cameraman was almost never quiet. Man, I don't know about this. You know, I'm goddamn scared of little closed-off places. What if a rock, like, falls or something? Blocks the exit. Alroy exhaled through his nose, his vision scattered by the harsh interjection. Slowly opening his eyes, fighting to maintain a decent demeanor with Alex, he sighed. The sun spotted his vision and his patience, scattered across his eyelashes like broken glass. <sighs> Alex, it's fine. What did I tell you when we went into the house? We have a story to tell, yeah, but... Yeah. Look, see, it's just a cave anyways. We need to go in there, look around for drugs and... Alright stopped, noticing a gleam of sweat starting on Alex's forehead. His pudgy frame seemed to shift a little as the cameraman stepped from side to side, his worn white tennis shoes collecting more of the reddish-orange film the desert projected. Nervous, as per usual. Sweaty, probably under that polyester golf shirt, and nervous. Yeah, fine. Alex said begrudgingly. Fine? Well, whatever, man. Alex put on a rocky exterior, knitting his eyebrows together and making a show of hoisting his camera up on his shoulder. God knows I could use some goddamn money. He kicked a stone harshly out of the way and into the damp interior of the cave. Alroy watched it skip as it disappeared into the gaping maw down into the unknown belly of the ground. Alroy couldn't believe his luck. 
Here was Alex, his cameraman, who was scared of practically everything in the world, and he was okay. The drugs bust cave was a go. Maybe, just maybe, this was going to break something. A story that would really capture the nosy local attention. It would cost him, of course, his patience, yes. His sanity, maybe. But it would be a story. Alright almost let himself get excited. But there was still the question if anything would be in the cave. He suspected not. His real goal here was to get in. Document the absence of meth. Making materials and debunk all rumors about the true purpose of this utterly ordinary cave. He could almost taste the slightly less cheap alcohol that he would buy with the slightly higher payoff. The cave was dark and cold, and as far as the weak beams of sickly light dashed around by their plastic flashlights could tell, as empty as Alroy had assured it would be. Alex aimed his light at one corner of the cave, and a tittering swish of leather confirmed what he had already guessed. Bats. Like every other uninhabited cave in Nevada. He motioned to Alex to roll the camera and smoothed out his shirt. Standing in front of a rock formation, he raised up his burned hand and counted down, signaling the start of the tape. Folks, this is Alroy Allen reporting in the field, and I am inside of McCann's Cave in Nevada today. Rumors have been swirling about a purported meth operation inside of this very cave. Alroy stopped talking as Alex lowered the camera. Now his brow was fully glazed in a high-beam sheen. He turned up his eyes at Alroy, lowering on a cautious smile, attempting to catch Alroy's eyes in a returning grin. It ran out of battery. Alroy didn't even have the energy to be angry. He closed his eyes and breathed out of his nose slowly, like a smoker savoring the last cigarette. He felt the brush of air over his tongue. He hadn't noticed until now quite how thirsty he had been. There were moments of silence before he walked over to the corner of the cave and sat down. No, he didn't care what he was sitting in or if caves were dirty or if these pants cost $34.45. Alex had ruined yet another shoot, and this time their ride wasn't due back for at least another couple of hours. God damn it. God fucking damn it. He had a million things he wanted to say to Alex, a million creative expletives to yell. Just then, a crash sounded on the other side of the cave. It was enough to freeze Alroy completely. A cold feeling in his stomach completely washing away the fire that not moments before had been blazing high. Alex? There was no reply. While he had closed his eyes, seemingly in a few minutes, Alex had disappeared. And now he realized as his eyes slowly opened, it was suddenly night. 
How long had he been thinking? Had it been one of those strange moments of a fugue state? He'd seen TV shows about this, about people losing hours and moments. He stood suddenly. His shoes scrambled over the gravelly floor of the cave until he reached the front, making a strange echoing sound against the front of the cave. Alroy paused. It was strange that the echo would reverberate so soundly back to him in the liquid pitch. It was strange in the dark. Strange that the sun had gone down so quickly. Alex was turned away from him, staring at the blackness that was the outside of the Nevada desert. Alroy snorted with disgust at the display and started to walk out of the cave, but was suddenly stopped by a cold force to his front and a chilling realization. He moved his hand up slowly, not yet sure what it was that had stopped his exit. His hand met a smooth surface glazed with a cold earthy sweat kind that appeared on all the rocks down here in the heart of the earth Alroy moved his head to the side slowly afraid to turn for fear of what lay to his left still trying to convince himself that it was nothing more than a moment and if he closed his eyes it might go away He shut his eyes tightly and opened them again, half really expecting to open them to a clear shot straight through to the Nevada night, a dissolving block of air dissipating before his eyes. His heart slammed against his ribs so hard, and for a minute, as he opened his eyes and stared at the still-there rock, not an illusion after all. All he could think about was how the kids at recess used to taunt him with that very nickname. Ribs. Not feeling the hammering of his heart slow at all. Alroy willed himself to turn his neck to the left and look at Alex. Alex was staring ahead. His eyes dry. He turned around his back against the rock and slid to the dusty rock floor. For a minute, everything was quiet. Alroy glanced back at his hands, folded in the dust that had collected on the inside soles of his shoes. Alex still staring in terror at the area outside of the cave as if he could see past the great piece of rock blocking them from any hope. Alroy hated him for this. He hated him. He hated that he had no will to go forward, but deep down inside himself, he knew. It was he who had brought them both here, and there was no denying it. Alex told him he was claustrophobic. He told him. And he had gone ahead and did it anyway. Alroy felt the cold pitch of guilt in the bottom of his soul and tried to hold on to it. 
desperate for the dignity after what he knew was this massive transgression. His mind's hands held onto the icicle, even as it melted and slipped through his fingers, sliding into the familiar heat of the white-hot anger that collected at the back of his skull. Fucking Alex. It was his fault. Sure, maybe, but he wasn't the only one standing goddamn useless to his left, wringing his hands like some kind of bereaved widow. He wasn't the one who had known about this project for weeks and still came with a half-dead camera and a polyester shirt in the hundred-degree heat. Alroy felt himself standing up, moving almost before he realized what he was doing, to the other side of the cave. Alex snapped out of his weird stare, turning around with a sudden jolt to face him. You know, I'm sorry, Alex whispered, his voice a pleading annoyance to Alroy now. He didn't have time for this amateur crap anymore. He wasn't even going to respond. All that mattered now was a way out. It just happened. It, it just happened. Chancing a look behind him. Alroy saw that Alex's face was more scared than his slightly even voice had let on. The man's face had taken on a pallor not unlike Alroy imagined. Someone who hadn't been out in the sun for a while. His lips were harder to distinguish from the rest of his face. As the blood had all but drained from them. In the ebony light, he looked almost ghostly. Alroy allowed himself but one small gasp at the sight. And then pushed it down deeper into his chest and hardened his face turning around once more to the far end of the cave. Alroy walked as fast as he figured he could, without hitting too many of the chalky stalagmites that cropped up around the cave floor. He could still hear Alex's quick, panicked breaths behind him, but they were lessening now. He was going farther and farther into the obscure, murkier end of the cave, one hesitant echoing footfall at a time. To be honest with himself, Alroy couldn't even tell why he wasn't afraid. Well, he was afraid, but not like Alex was. He tried to slap himself with the idea that he could die in this hollow confines of this stupid, stupid cave. He could be found years later, badly decomposed because of the moisture. Like that girl they'd found in the Parisian catacombs. She had been with friends and simply gotten lost. No way out. No light. She had died in there without anyone knowing the wiser. A bloated, whitened carcass. And this is what might happen to him. He dug his short nails into his palms, trying to draw blood, pain, or anything. But try as he might. Couldn't make himself scared enough to care. 
The only thing he could think about was how angry he was at Alex. He was a livid, choked up, red, and he knew if given the opportunity, what he wouldn't do, what he wouldn't do. He watched his feet moving like an automaton's against the dusty floor, carrying him away as if on their own volition. There might be an opening at the back of the cave. Something. Anything. Alroy stopped suddenly. Then, the idea rolling like a tiny glass marble through the wrinkles of his cortex. It dropped down into his mouth, and he said it out loud, testing the words in the dark of the cave. What I wouldn't do, he whispered. What would I do? His eyes strained against the overwhelming darkness, the feeling starting to make his head pound. He was reminded of when he was a little kid in the pool playing Marco Polo. It was complete darkness, swimming through water he could not see. When he was searching, he always seemed to get strange. The lack of sight combined with the voices and the movement, it had always made him feel loose, uninhibited, out of his body. He would flail around and fall over and laugh when he didn't mean to. Then it would be over and he would open his eyes, surprised at where he was and what he had done. The world back from a dream. Alroy sat down and felt the cold ground embrace him back, the sharp kick in his side. Rolling over to the dark front of the cave, he allowed his over-energy and lack of sleep pummel him into submission. His hands found no purchase on the rock now, and he fell into a troubled unconsciousness, his hands flexing and unlacing on the cave's silty ground. It was hours before he awoke, but it felt longer. He opened his eyes from sleep only to reveal another layer of black, waking into another state of unconsciousness. He thought about how he felt when he was in the pool, floating like an atom in someone's wide body. He tried to think back to where he had been, tried to claw a plan out from the growing softness in his mind. But quickly, as he tore the wool from his eyes, a thick patch grew back, soothing his hands and dulling his mind. All he could think about was the feeling of the water against his closed eyes, the difference in thickness in the air and his limbs floating uselessly in the dark pond. He stood up, 
leaning against a mossy wall for help, feeling the shift in his mind but not in his surroundings. He felt as if someone had forgotten to fill his head. He felt a bit like that now, a bit loose. His arms swung a little bit as he rocked back on his heels. His eyes shifted toward the front of the cave. There was no sunlight, though he doubted there would be any now even if the boulder had miraculously lifted. It was black, black, black. He could have floated a hand in front of his eyes and he would still see nothing. But there was a light. It was weak. A bluish light, the kind that gave Alroy splitting headaches. He knew it was Alex's phone, and he smiled to himself. His eyes widened suddenly, almost surprised at himself for it. But then he felt the concern draining away, jelly-like and viscous. His mouth split wider, and he lifted his hand up to his eyes. He rubbed vigorously and crept forward low to the ground, feeling insects crawl away from his searching hands. This, of course, Alroy thought to himself through a cloudy conscience, was nothing. He wasn't hurting anybody, no. He just wanted to scare Alex a little bit. Just a little bit to get back at him for the camera. For the cave. He found himself chuckling slightly at the thought of the cave and the two of them getting stuck inside of it. Probably the easiest thing in the world to not get stuck in a doorless place. Alex was probably over it now, probably eating the bag of chips Alray knew were in his too small backpack. Probably on his phone trying to get reception, couldn't go two hours without the internet. Straightening as he neared the blue light. Alroy made sure to hang close to the chilled rock walls along the corridor of shadows the sighting provided. Suddenly, his foot connected with something hard and heavy. For a second, Alroy thought it must have been one of the many, many stalagmites, but he kicked it again and it released a hollow plastic thunk. It was Alex's ancient 90s news camera. He bent down and traced his fingers over the oily shell, contemplating kicking it again just to get maximum rise out of Alex. Just then, something caught his eye. A reflection off a puddle of water in the craggy floor, green and wavering. Carefully, Alroy turned the camera over and stared, dumbstruck. It was on. The camera was on and the green light was glowing in the water's surface. Alex had been wrong. Alex had been wrong. He had to have been wrong. There was no other explanation. Alroy knew. He knew it. He had missed the light somehow, and in his 
infinite stupidity had thrown the camera to the side of the saturated cave. Alroy felt like laughing and crying all at once. A tear pricked its way past his grimy cheek and cleared a track down his face. Alroy felt his nonsensical smile split his lips again, and he gingerly scooped up the camera and carried it over closer still to the blue light. He could see Alex was sitting up against the blocked exit, his cell phone rapidly discharging next to him on the sheet floor. He had his head in his hands, crying. For a while, Alroy just stared. A strange stirring of pity woke in the pit of his stomach. He quelled the urge with the leftover anger he had stored up for this moment. Alex lifted his face every few minutes and glared at the stony barrier. Silently, his lips quivered and collected the saline flowing from his puffy eyes. Alroy assessed the situation. The circle of fading electronic light held Alex within its center, anything inside of it immediately available to the other man's view had to be careful. Placing one hand on the slippery side of the cave and stuck one leg out towards the ring of the fluorescent light. Moving on all fours, Alroy scrabbled closer still. Alex had stopped sobbing and was now lifting his head up, slightly, his eyes still watery and wide with fear. Hello? Alroy breathed through his nose keeping low to the ground, not relenting. Alex's eyes widened as he surveyed the dark air surrounding the pond of weak light. Alroy came closer still. His eyes were like two orbs set in a pitch-black pond, floating like planets in the surrounding dark. The way the light fell on his face made his angular features even more sharp. Mirroring the craggy rocks he slid from, he thought of the camera and he thought of the cave. He remembered what he was here to do, but he couldn't remember why or how, or the feeling of thought not strained through a thick duvet of feathery mold. Slowly, Alroy slithered to the outside of the circle and placed one damp hand into the luminescent pool. Alex's eyes flew up, staring at the pallid appendage now visible to him. Slowly, Alroy pushed into the circle, emerging from the gloom like a sinewy panther from the path of some jungle. His form slowly apparated, each limb and piece appearing into the light one part at a time. Like he was being assembled and stitched together in front of Alex's very eyes, Slowly, Alroy opened his mouth, feeling the strange, syrupy feeling of speaking after being silent for hours. Alex, come here, he said, putting his arms out in what he thought might be comforting. He felt the strangeness creeping in, the calls of Polo echoing deep in his head. Alex just stared at him. 
he thought. Crap, I, I knew he wouldn't. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Alroy said, suddenly aware of the presence of his limbs awkwardly in front of him. What was I thinking? His mind rolled the syllables over, and as he did so, Alex began to crawl. Alex's hands and knees hit the floor one at a time as the phrase slammed the insides of Alroy's mind. What? Alex came closer, his eyes still wet with tears. What? Alex reached him. He put his arms around Alex, his heart beating faster than it had before. We can't get out, Alroy said, returning the embrace. What? Alex asked. His voice was soft, as if he could not muster the strength to reply. There's no way out, Alroy said. Once again, Alroy felt a disconnect. He was aware of his quick heartbeat, his rising breathing, and he was aware of his hands and squeezing at his legs, clenching and unclenching. He was floating. Slowly from behind him, he heard a low beeping. He didn't have to turn to know what it was. The camera was dying. Soon the small puddle of light would be gone. Alroy wanted to open his eyes. He wanted to open his eyes. He wanted to be sun-blinded and smash his fists into his wet eyelashes and dissipate the noise. He stretched his arms out. He opened his eyes as wide as they could go, grabbed his eyelids and pulled. Alex, he said, and stared at him. Alex stared back, frightened into silence quiet from the fear. The light from the camera was beginning already to fade. Soon he would see nothing but the lack of light. The absence of sun, the stars, the sky. Alex let out a soft sob. All right. We have to try. There must be some way, Alex said, sniffling. We can't die in here. Alroy was quiet. Slowly, he detached himself from the embrace, placed one limb behind the other. He was retreating into the darkness of the cave. Alex stiffened. Alone in the dying light, he scanned his surroundings, trying to parse Alroy's form from the back. Alroy? Then, from the darkness... A single word in a skittering of human movement. A word said half laughing, almost whispered, Marco. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's stories. 
remember you can send me your stories at scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. I'm hoping to put together another True Tales episode soon, so send me your true scary stories as well. Please let me know in the email if it's fiction or nonfiction. You'd be surprised at how many times I can't tell. (laughs) Now, for Patreon shoutouts. My eternal gratitude to Deborah West, MZ Thorne, Ginger Nealon, and the future Mrs. Park, Chloe Rush. Follow the show on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Scare You to Sleep. You can follow me at Shelby B. Scott. Come interact with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash scare to sleep. Also, my merch will be leaving the Teespring store soon. I want to rework and come back with a different design. And thank you to all who bought the very first Scary to Sleep merch. I still can't believe some of you gorgeous people are walking around with my logo on you. It's really unbelievable and I really can't thank you enough. I think that's all for now. Look for links in the show notes for Bruh is a Murder and Mailtopia. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. Item number SCP-5186 SCP-7160 SCP-7533 Object class Euclid Keter Safe Special containment procedures Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust <laughs> The only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing <laughs> Do you remember your name? Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.